The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks starting things off in the red after their best week in a month. Right now, futures are under pressure. And earnings remain front and center for investors, but one analyst says this season it could be different in a very big way. Then in China, data disappointing yet again, but some investors, they say they are not deterred. Plus, Microsoft, all but free and clear to close its mega deal for Activision Blizzard with just one regulator left standing in its way. And then later in the show, two years late, a Tesla Cybertruck, it finally rolls off the assembly line. It is Monday, July the 17th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your Monday with us. Let's kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures with the Dow coming off a five-day win streak and its best week since March. Looking right now, the Dow continues to be the best performer this morning. The only one of these indices up in the pre-market, up about a third of a percent. We're seeing the S&P and the Nasdaq, excuse me, the Nasdaq up in the pre-market. Just kind of a bit of a reversal from what I was looking at a minute ago. The Nasdaq, the best performer in the pre-market. The Dow down about 62 points. The S&P down fractionally. All right. We're also looking at the bond market. We've seen a lot of movement in the bond market since that uh, cooler than expected CPI read. Uh, We're seeing the 10 year at three point seven nine, about 30 basis points lower than its July high. The two year at four point seven three. Also down here at the 30 year, just a tick below four percent in energy. Oil under some pressure in the early going so far this morning. Both WTI and Brent crude down more than 1%. We're seeing WTI just a tick above 74 bucks a barrel. Brent crude just above 78 and a half. Again, both of them down 1.5%. We're seeing some upside movement when it comes to natural gas, up more than 1%. So oil's Monday morning weakness tied directly to some big data out of China overnight. Beijing reporting the world's second largest economy slowed in the second quarter from the previous three months to just 0.1% compared to 2.2% back in Q1, January to March. China's National Bureau of Statistics also noting that youth unemployment is at a record high of 21.3%. Hong Kong is closed for the holiday, but taking a look at the rest of Asia, as you can see, it's in the red across the board. The Shanghai Composite, the hardest hit, down almost 1%. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Pippa Stevens is here with those. Pippa, good morning. Hey. Good morning, Frank. Well, the chief executives of Intel and Qualcomm are reportedly planning a visit to Washington this week to discuss U.S.-China policy. According to multiple reports, the CEOs plan to hold meetings with U.S. officials with a focus on export controls and market conditions, among other matters. Now, no official word from the companies, but in a statement to CNBC, Intel says its CEO, Pat Gelsinger, is currently in China and plans to return home this week. Elon Musk is revealing some troubling financials at Twitter. In a tweet over the weekend, Musk, who serves as the platform's CTO, told his followers the company's cash flow remains negative 
due to a 50% drop in advertising revenue on top of a heavy debt load. The disclosure reveals Musk has thus far fallen far short of his prediction back in March that Twitter could reach cash flow positive by June. And United and its pilots unions say they've agreed to a preliminary labor, labor deal that includes pay increases of as much as 40.2% over four years. The deal makes United the latest carrier to reach a deal with workers on higher wages amid the post-pandemic travel boom. The agreement still faces a ratification vote, though, Frank, by its members. All right, certainly something to watch. Pippa, we will see you later on the show. All right, back to the markets now. Wall Street's coming off a winning week with the Dow, the S&P 500, both gaining more than 2%, while the Nasdaq was up more than 3%. Investors pricing in a rebalance of the Nasdaq 100 that will reduce the concentration of the so-called magnificent seven stocks. We're talking NVIDIA, Alphabet, et cetera, that have powered much of the rally so far this year. That enthusiasm also pushing the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 to their highest levels since April of last year. The rally comes as traders are also pricing in a more than 95 percent chance of a Fed rate hike this month. Opinions are mixed on the potential impact of that on the markets. Research from Wisdom Tree makes the argument that headline inflation is already at zero if you use alternative metrics. We have Jeremy Schwartz, Global Chief Investment Officer at Wisdom Tree, joining me now to explain this whole thesis. So, Jeremy, good morning. It is great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Frank. All right, we're going to get right to it. We're going to show the chart that you are, you've been posting looking at headline inflation. Now, according to your research, if you use alternative data specifically tied to shelter prices, we're actually at flat, 0% inflation right now compared to what the Fed would see. Give us a sense. What does that mean for the markets in the, in the third quarter, the second half of the year? What is the potential hike coming up in July that a lot of people are expecting? What could that mean for the markets? You're spot on, Frank. It's all about that shelter and how one key data point gives you such a different look at what's happening in the economy. Our our shelter number using real-time data is basically flat when the core numbers used by the BLS is 7.8%. And so, you know, saying that the Fed has an inflation problem, they continue hiking, puts us at greater risk of over-tightening, slowing down the economy, more unemployment, which gives gives more headwinds for the market than otherwise needs to be. All right. So some headwinds for the market in your mind, because, again, according to your research, we're actually at flat inflation when it comes to the headline number. I want to look ahead to earnings season. Uh, We saw the big banks kick it off last week on Friday. What's your expectations for the rest of the earnings season? Um, The forecasts are for a decline for a third straight quarter. Yeah, I mean, energy is a key part of the decline. They, you know, their, their earnings were a lot higher last year. That's part of why inflation is coming back down is because energy and oil is way below where it was last year. I think the big story, though, as you said, the Magnificent Seven, big tech has been running on hopes of this AI revolution and boom. Will that come out to earnings? There's a lot of inflated expectations in tech sector because of this AI boom. And will it be real? Uh, you know, I'm a little worried that at 30 times earnings, the tech sector is high. The higher the multiple, the more you have to deliver on those earnings. Uh, so I do think that is one of the key risks that I'll be watching through this earnings season. You know, a big risk. But what about the rest of the market? We've heard a lot of people talk about the S&P 493, if you subtract that magnif- Magnificent 7, actually isn't overvalued. Yeah, we show S&P X tech is exactly at its median multiple for the last 30 years. So there's really no inflated expectations outside of the tech sector. Now, the tech sector is 40 percent of the market, so it's not an insignificant section of the market. But, uh, you know, there are definitely baskets. We, we have a high dividend basket that's only 11 times earnings. So there's definitely cheap segments of the market. 
But it's certainly right. tech that is commanding premium multiples. So, Jeremy, you're front running me. That was your pick, actually. You're looking at dividend paying stocks right now. What's the argument for dividend paying stocks? Because those ETFs and a lot of those stocks, they've actually lagged this year. Well, so I think the S&P at 20 times earnings, that's a 5% earning yield. That gives you your outlook for the next, call it five, seven years. At 11 times earnings with a 9% earnings yield, much cheaper, it's more defensive. It doesn't have those inflated expectations. You know, so the market's been running on the AI hopes, uh, but I think high dividend stocks uh, is one of the ways you can protect from valuations and, and navigate this earnings season a bit better. Yeah, we're looking at one of your products right now, the Wisdom Tree U.S. High Dividend ETF, ticker DHS. Hard not to notice it's negative for the year. So, again, what's the big catalyst to turn this ETF around? Well, it's just more reasonable expectations. You know, if there's choppiness uh, last year when the, when the NASDAQ was down a third, this was up last year. So if there's, if there's a bit more of a downdraft, and again, we are worried about the Fed over tightening, I think this is a fund that can protect you from those, that volatility, much more reasonable multiples. Uh, I think that's the, the key story for this fund. All right, we're going to be talking a lot about valuations and multiples for the rest of this year. Jeremy Schwartz, it is always great to see you. Thank you. Great. All right, we're following some breaking news here in Worldwide Exchange. The Kremlin saying just a short time ago that Russia is halting the deal that allows the export of Ukrainian grain. That deal, which was brokered a year ago, aimed to alleviate a global food crisis by allowing Ukrainian grain blocked by the Russia-Ukraine conflict to be safely exported. We're taking a look at the price of wheat right now. Following that news, we're seeing wheat prices up three and a half percent. We're also watching oil prices. Saudi Arabia saying it will extend its voluntary cut until the end of December of next year. Looking at WTI right now, we're seeing a bit of a reversal from what we saw just a few minutes ago. Looking at WTI up three quarters of a percent, actually climbing as we speak. We're also looking at Brent crude this morning, the international benchmark, um, waiting for that chart to come up. But you imagine also seeing a reversal there. So again, Saudi Arabia saying it will extend its voluntary cuts until December of next year. Brent right now up almost 1% as well. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including that one word that investors have to know today. But first, Microsoft, all but free and clear to close its mega deal for Activision with just one regulator left standing in its way. Plus, better late than ever, a Tesla Cybertruck finally rolls off the assembly line following a two-year delay. And then later in the show, why investors appear to be bailing on Kathy Wood's flagship fund. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, let's get a check on the early trade over in Europe. Our Germana Brissetti is standing by in our London, I can't get the words out, London newsroom with much more. Germana. <laughs> Good morning. 
Good morning, Frank, a case of the Mondays. Uh, well, let's take a look at how European markets are faring. It's not so pretty. The stock 600 is down about a quarter of a percent. Last week, the stock 600 did actually see its best week in three months. But today's sentiment has turned sour, namely because of those Chinese GDP numbers that came out weaker than expectations and showing a deceleration from the first quarter. So any sector that has exposure to China, anything with basic resources, commodities, autos, all of those are coming under selling pressure. And you can see it is pretty broad-based, with the exception of the Spanish index, which is up two-tenths of a percent, all eyes on the election coming up this Sunday. But one sector in particular I want to draw your attention to is luxury. We are seeing a major pullback in the likes of Richemont today, down 9% in this share, uh, which are namely after the jewelry maker reported a 14% rise in sales in the first quarter. The group, which is behind brands such as Cartier, saw a strong rebound in the Asia-Pacific region, but much weaker performances in the America. And that is one of the reasons why we are seeing such a major pullback across all luxury names today. Richemont down 9%, Swatch down 2.4%, the likes of Hermes, LVMH down more than 4.5%, also pulling down the French index as well. Frank. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. Jumana Brissetti, live in our London newsroom. Turning our attention now over to tech, Microsoft and Sony signing a 10-year deal to keep Activision's Call of Duty on PlayStation. That is alleviating some antitrust concerns that Microsoft would use its power in the gaming market to cement dominance after the close of its $69 billion deal for Activision Blizzard. The news comes after an appellate court judge denied a last-minute bid by the FTC to delay that deal. There's now just one global regulator in its path. The U.K.'s Competition and Markets Authority extended its final deadline to review the deal to August 29th due to a detailed and complex new proposal from Microsoft. Joining me now to discuss is Alex Kantrowitz, big technology founder and a CNBC contributor. Good morning, Alex. Morning, Frank. All right, so what's your take on this deal? We've, we've seen a lot of, you know, twists and turns when it comes to this deal, including a last-minute bid by the FTC to block it, and also this news about Call of Duty. Who knew that a, a video game would have so much importance in a deal this size? What's your take on the possibility of it actually going through in this last hurdle with the U.K. CMA? I think it's absolutely going through right now. I mean, the CMA was watching the U.S. and the FTC to try to see if it was going to have any success here. And it could stand with the FTC and say, well, OK, we're in solidarity here. We don't want this to go through. The FTC is out of the picture right now. And now the CMA is saying, all right, what are we going to do? And it's been hemming and hawing. And right now it seems like it's going to accelerate its decision and this deal could go through fairly imminently. All right. So. You're feeling pretty, pretty positive about that. What does that mean for the stocks to see this deal going through? Do you believe that everything's already priced in for this deal going through, including some of these twists and turns and possible concessions that the companies may have to make? I think it is priced in. I think that the markets have been watching what's been going on here, and they've come to the conclusion that Microsoft's going to win probably in the last few weeks. So maybe you'll see a small bump you know, once this thing actually goes through. But the real impact is going to be long-term. Like, Let's see how Activision actually adds to the Microsoft you know, set of gaming tools and then actually, you know, might might actually end up impacting the business and the bottom line, because once you put those two together, there could be some, you know, significant growth. And some of these concerns that people have been bringing that Microsoft might corner off the competition or the Xbox might, you know, end up taking exclusivity on some of these games that could actually come to fruition now. And okay. once that happens, we could see we could see something, uh, you know, serious with the stock. All right, we're looking at shares of Activision Blizzard rising 4%, Microsoft up a half a percent. Hard not to notice Sony down 1%. All right, another story we're watching, Tesla building its first Cybertruck at its plant in Austin, Texas, after shortages in sourcing components caused a two-year production delay. CEO Elon Musk telling shareholders back in May 
The Tesla would like to produce 250,000 Cybertrucks a year, depending on demand, giving the company a leg up on EV pickups from the likes of Ford and Rivian. That was the original plan. Uh, a lot of people say better late than never. I say never late is better on this one. We've seen a lot of other uh, EV pickup trucks come out, including Rivian's. Uh, that's actually now the best-selling electric pickup in the U.S. Well, I would say that this is going to be a massive hit for Tesla. I mean, this, the truck looks great. People made fun of it when it came out. It looks great. People are going to want to drive it. They're going to want to park it in their driveways. They're going to want to show their affiliation to Elon Musk with it. And I think it could really challenge Rivian and even some of the bigger pickups. I mean, pickups are the number one selling car in the U.S., and I think this could nestle its way right in there. So, by the way, this is an opinion. I think a lot of people just think it looks a little strange. We're looking at it right now, Alex. It's not your typical vehicle. So, yes, it's definitely going to stand out. and Maybe some people want to have it just as kind of a status symbol. But it looks way different. So I, I'm going to ask you two questions. I, I know your opinion. You like it. But is this the, the right, you know, pickup truck, I guess, for mainstream America, something that looks so futuristic? And then also, um, when you see Rivian taking so much market share and you still have the F-150 out there, why are you so confident? What gives you so much confidence that people are going to adopt it? I think in the U.S. especially, people like to wear their values on the road or show their values on the road. I think people like to look cool in cars. I think this will make them look cool. They like to look cutting edge. And I think there's something as the association with Elon Musk. He's, you know, he's gotten a lot more political uh, in the past few months, the past few years. And I think that's, you know, maybe that's going to have a negative impact on people interested in buying his, his, you know, four-door cars. But when it comes to a pickup truck, I think that's going to hit. So I, I really do think that this is going to be something that people are going to want to drive. And it's going to it's going to look cool on the road. I think that like it's going to look different. I don't know. I would I would definitely get one if I could park it in New York City. All right. It sounds like you would definitely get one. All right. We got one more for you, Alex. Kathy Woods, Ark Innovation ETF, seeing a notable shift over the past 12 months with investors pulling a net seven hundred and seventeen million from the fund since last summer. The ETF, which once had nearly 30 billion dollars in assets under management, has now shrunk to roughly $9 billion due to investment losses and after it missed out on the monster rally in shares of NVIDIA. Still, Kathy Wood joined CNBC on Friday. She says she still believes that NVIDIA is an incredible play. If you look at NVIDIA, it is one of the magnificent seven. Uh, it is an easy way to put money to work. And the excitement around ChatGBT was such that this was the obvious play. It has been the check-the-box AI company um, uh, for for a while now. So, Alex, to be clear, Ark Innovation ETF, it's doing pretty well this year, even though people are taking their money out of it. What's your take on investors leaving the fund, putting their money in other areas of the market? I mean, Kathy Wood has said that they're taking profit, but if you look at where it is next to its all-time highs, where a lot of people bought in, I mean, it had more than $6 billion come in in a single quarter when it was close to its highs in 2021. I would say they're probably cutting their losses. And, you know, the clip that you guys just played with Kathy talking about how NVIDIA is such a natural stock for people interested in innovation. I mean, to get out of that position in the beginning of the year, as NVIDIA has just boomed this year, you know, was was not a very good decision. So I don't really think that, you know, this is a moment where people are like celebrating ARC, taking profit and shifting it. I think people are ready to move on at this point. So is that one miss that big of a deal? I mean, we're just looking at the chart right there. ARK, ARKKK, ARKK, the ARK Innovation ETF, still up more than 50% year to date. That's still great performance, outperforming a lot of other uh, parts of the market. Yeah, I don't think the one miss is is the problem. I mean, if you extend that chart back a few years, you're going to start to see that that it's going to be a downward slope, even though it's 
popped up a little bit this year. I think that in holding, if she had held Nvidia, right, and that could have made up for some of the losses that the investors. I mean, again, six billion and a quarter in 2021. You know, there, there's a lot of those investors are still in the red. So holding Nvidia could have made up for that a little bit. But it's the overall picture. It's not just one stock. So does this, uh, I guess, outflows when it comes to the ARKK, does that also influence some of the company's other ETFs in your mind long term? Are people just generally losing confidence or are they losing confidence in this one fund? Yeah, it, it, I mean, you have to look at the investor, right? So it's only been a few hundred million. It's, I mean, only a few hundred million, but only a few hundred million out of ARK. But that fund has gone down from of ARKK, but that fund has gone down from about 30 billion at its peak to 9 billion today. So you're looking at the market, you see the S&P is, you know, delivering pretty sizable returns without that big drop. I mean, it's still under, you know, its all-time highs, but then you start to think about where else you're going to go and the other options look more attractive at this point. All right, Alex Kantrowitz of Big Technology, always great to see you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, a record-breaking heat wave. It's testing the U.S. electric grid to the max. We look at the stocks at the center of the crisis when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Sizzling temperatures hitting the U.S. over the weekend, with more than 100 million Americans under excessive heat warnings and heat advisories for at least another week. This is the North American Electric Reliability Corporation warns. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk this summer of energy shortfalls as the temperatures soar. Our Pippa Stevens is now here, joining us to look at how this is all impacting our grid. Pippa? Well, Frank, basically climate change is wreaking havoc on the grid. Record temperatures lead to a spike in energy demand as people crank up their air conditioners, while extreme weather events threaten the grid's physical assets. Roughly 70% of the U.S.'s transmission lines are more than 25 years old, with the average cable between 35 and 40 years old. Electricity demand is slated to grow 30% by the end of this decade, thanks to things like electric vehicles and heat pumps, which is putting further stress on the grid. And as the U.S. tries to add more and more renewables, a lack of transmission infrastructure is a major bottleneck. As Bank of America summed up, significant capex is required for aging infrastructure. Now, given the complexity of these projects, lots of different companies stand to benefit, including transmission line constructor Quanta Services. UBS recently reiterated its buy rating on the company, saying electric grid investment is entering a, quote, new phase of growth. Maztec also constructs transmission lines, while companies like ABB, Siemens, Schneider Electric and Eaton work on power distribution. There's also companies like Aspen Tech and Itron, which make software solutions, Frank, specifically for utility companies. All right. Really interesting stuff here, Pippa, uh, especially with the heat wave that we're experiencing. I know you mentioned it was just too hot for you to leave your house this weekend. <laughs> 
So apart from short-term solutions like equipment upgrades, what are some longer-term solutions that utilities are looking at for more grid stability? Well, one is really that more sophisticated software because utilities have to constantly understand the balance between supply and demand. And back when it was all fossil fuel generation, that was much easier because you could just ramp up a coal or nat gas power plant whenever you wanted to. That is not the case with renewables. There's now many different types of energy being generated, so they have to really understand how the picture, the overall picture looks. The other is transmission lines. As we want more and more renewables, we have to have the transmission infrastructure that carries it from the generation in places like Arizona to the city distribution centers. Interesting. I thought you were going to say AI. That was a much more nuanced (laughs) answer than I was expected. Pippa Stevens, great reporting as always. Thank you. All right. Talking about extreme weather, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York. Francis, did you leave the house? Was it too hot? (laughs) Too hot and then the deluge, the rain the next day. So a little bit of everything, Frank. As we start this morning, these are our headlines. Authorities are searching for uh, two young children swept away by flash flooding in Pennsylvania. Their mother is among at least five people killed by the sudden downpour. As much as seven inches of rain fell in less than an hour. Breaking overnight in Ukraine, uh, there are reports of explosions at the Kerch Bridge that connects occupied Ukrainian Crimea to mainland Russia. The governor of Crimea says on Telegram that traffic has been halted over a, quote, emergency without elaborating. Two people were reportedly killed. A Telegram channel affiliated with a Wagner mercenary group says there have been two strikes on the bridge. Russia's transport ministry says the bridge's supports were not damaged. And in a thrilling comeback win, Carlos Alcaraz won his first Wimbledon title, defeating the overwhelming favorite Novak Djokovic after nearly five hours of play. Djokovic was denied his 24th straight Grand Slam title. For Monday morning, Frank, those are your news headlines. We send it back to you. And he did not seem very happy about it. It wasn't being a very good sport with that racket. Nope, and the throwdown, (laughs) right? And definitely, definitely a little show on the side with that. (laughs) Francis, great to see you as always. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we're going to tell you why it's not just Activision and Microsoft and regulator crosshairs. The other mega deal, getting a closer look from the FTC. Much more Worldwide Exchange after this break. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and there is still a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. We begin with investors' attention turning to a big week of earnings, looking to help propel the markets higher as the Dow comes off its best week since March. Futures right now, however, are mixed. Tech stocks continuing to steal the spotlight, but a number of well-known names quietly notching fresh highs in recent days. We're going to dig into some under-the-radar winners and whether or not now is the time to buy. And the fresh off, and fresh off its last-ditch effort to block the Microsoft Activision deal, the FTC turns to its regulatory attention to another blockbuster merger. It is Monday, July the 17th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. As we mentioned, a bit of a mixed picture this morning. We're seeing the Nasdaq fractionally higher. The Dow looks like it would open up about 60 points lower. The S&P fractionally lower to flat. We're also looking at the bond market. That's where we're seeing some movement in recent days since that softer-than-expected CPI print. We're seeing the 10-year at 3.79, about 30 basis points lower than its July high. And then the 2-year at 4.73, the 30-year at 3.9. We also want to look at oil. Saudi Arabia saying earlier this hour it will extend its voluntary output cut until the end of December of next year. Looking at WTI right now, 
WTI crude now down one and one third of a percent. Bit of a change from what we saw earlier. We see in the spike right here when that news first got announced and then the price is just going back down again. WTI trading right now basically 74 and a half a barrel. All right, we're sticking with stocks and some of the biggest names in tech continuing to power, high, to power things higher. The usual cast of characters, we're talking NVIDIA, Google, Amazon, Meta, Microsoft, and Tesla, all climbing between 4.5% and more than 8% last week. Apple, the laggard of that bunch, up just 1%. But beyond these high-flying names, a number of others are also hitting fresh highs in the last week. For more on the markets, under-the-radar winners, let's bring in Malcolm Etheridge, CIC Wealth Executive Vice President and a CNBC contributor. Malcolm, it is always great to see you. Let's start with the payment stocks, if you don't mind. Sure. MasterCard, trading near uh, an all-time high. What's your take? Would you still buy into the payment stocks? We're talking MasterCard, Visa, also Discover. Morning, Frank. Yeah, I, I think that if we consider where the financials are right now, right? J.P. Morgan obviously was a, was a surprise with their earnings report, and some banks have still yet to uh, report here, but we don't necessarily expect it to be great. Of all of the financials, I would prefer to own Visa and MasterCard right here, even though they're not thought of as financials uh, in the more traditional sense. They're more fintech, really. But these two companies sit perfectly wedged between every single transaction that you or I makes with our credit and debit cards. And all of the, the trillions of dollars of payment flow that happens around the globe each year, they, they earn a little piece of that each time. And it doesn't cost them anything more for each additional swipe that you or I make. Uh, so every once they build out a, a network, every additional swipe that we make is just more profit for okay. each of these payments processors. So I think that is a great place to be. And dare I say, maybe even a recession proof business model. You know, that's an interesting point you bring up, Malcolm. It's something I want to talk to you about. We're seeing uh, credit card balances hitting a trillion. We're seeing the uh, interest rate on credit cards hitting 22 percent, also a record. And then also student loan payments restarting up in the fall. Are you worried that would impact the business of a MasterCard and a Visa? Well, it may slightly decrease the amount of each transaction because obviously their take is based on a percentage of the swipe. But I would say that anyone who's bet against Americans' willingness to spend over the last two or three years has definitely been outside of the trade looking in. Okay. And so I wouldn't necessarily uh, suddenly have a change of heart here and expect that suddenly Americans are going to have less willingness to spend. Do they have Noted. the capacity to spend? Are there as many dollars available? That, be that begs to be seen. All right, no, no. We're going to get through a few more things, so let's go a bit faster here, Malcolm, if you don't mind. Sure. Several home builders also hitting fresh highs. We're talking about DR Horton, Lennar, and Pulte Group. This is mortgage rates hover near 20-year highs. Bit of a theme here. What's your take on these stocks? Yes, I wouldn't necessarily want to own the home builders here simply because, like you just pointed out, the interest rate environment and the fact that there's still such strong calls for a recession among economists scare me a little bit as far as home builders are concerned. But if I had to choose one, I would go with D.R. Horton simply because of their ability to build in all markets, right? So whether it's entry level, custom or luxury, uh, if one price point is negatively impacted more than others going forward, DHI has the ability to make up the difference okay. uh, among its other business units. Let's get you back over to tech. We got some other winners. Adobe's trading at levels not seen since February of last year. Booking Holdings is trading at all time highs back to its IPO back in 1999. And Sherwin Williams, just a consumer facing name, trading at levels not seen since last June. Do any of these names excite you? Yeah, of all the names you just listed, Adobe is the one that I really would love to own here because uh, instead of running from AI, they've embraced it, right? And they happen to debut Firefly AI at the perfect right time because more and more uh, artists and creatives are becoming accepting of AI 
and the AI, uh, the Firefly AI offering that they just rolled out allows them to offer their own treasure trove of uh, personal, of, of unique works to these creatives. As more artists and creatives are becoming protective over their work, right? They're out there suing for uh, ownership rights of the the uh, AI that some of these large language models are trained on. I think that Adobe's treasure trove of original work is going to become more and more valuable, and that's what's going to drive this price higher going forward. All right, Malcolm, stick with us just for a second. We want to get to China, another batch of bad economic data. This time around, second quarter GDP coming in short of estimates. CNBC's Sam Battis has that report. China's economy grew 6.3% in the second quarter, missing expectations in the market of around 7%. Headline growth was better than the first quarter, but was heavily skewed by last year's lockdowns, which weighed on productivity and consumption in major cities like Shanghai. On a quarterly basis, the economy only grew 0.8%. The base effects also distorting the economic activity indicators in June, given the release of pent-up demand during the same time last year. Retail Sales missed expectations at 3.1%, but on a quarterly basis only grew a smidge, which is further confirmation consumption remains weak as confidence remains low amid worries about jobs and income. Now that was highlighted by another record high in youth unemployment. New home prices also logged the weakest showing all year, reinforcing the need for more stimulus for the property sector and to spur consumption. There were some bright spots, though. Industrial output surprised to the upside despite exports falling the most in more than three years and business confidence at factories at an eight-month low. All right, we want to thank Sam for that and bring our Malcolm Etheridge back in. Another bad economic data read for China, Malcolm. This after the Crane Shares Internet ETF. It saw its best weekly performance since early March just last week and notched its sixth positive week in the last seventh. Given all that, are you investing in China right now? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily be investing in China right now, specifically because if if those are the numbers that we're allowed to know about, I wonder just what they actually are. But the thing that point that I would point out more than anything is the youth unemployment number baked into those those details, which doesn't necessarily bode well for U.S. based companies that also depend on Chinese labor uh, to do their business. And so I would be paying attention also to like a Starbucks, for example, which we know is very dependent on China, maybe a Nike, for example. Names like that also stick out to me as I hear that. Yeah, a lot to think about when it comes to China's ongoing recovery and the impact not only on Chinese equities, but U.S. companies. Malcolm Etheridge, great to see you as always. Thank you for your time. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. We have our Pippa Stevens back with those. Pippa. Hello again, Frank. And it looks like video game makers are not the only thing on the FTC's radar. The regulator is now taking a closer look at Pfizer's proposed $43 billion takeover of CGen, and according to the companies, is seeking additional information. The two companies first announced the deal back in March as a way to boost Pfizer's pipeline of targeted cancer therapies. An investigation is currently underway in Louisiana after an explosion and subsequent fire at a Dow chemical facility in Plaquemine, about 20 minutes south of Baton Rouge. In a statement, Dow saying it is working closely with local and state agencies to respond to the incident and that all personnel are safe and accounted for. Dow adds air monitoring has not detected hazardous materials. No cause has been disclosed. And the head of the Teamsters Union says he has asked the White House not to intervene if unionized UPS workers end up going on strike. 
Talks between management and the union representing 340,000 of its workers are currently at a standstill with the July 31st deadline, Frank, fast approaching. Yeah, something to watch, especially the stock of UPS today. We're going to see how it responds to that. And then Friday, we had the report that UPS was preparing for a possible strike by retraining its uh, team members. A lot to watch. Yep, right. certainly there. Pippa Stevens, <laughs> thank you so much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, your morning's global briefing and the headlines dominating trading desks all around the world, including Turkey's president hitting the road to drum up investments as his country grapples with a cost of living crisis. We are back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet where we check on a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. We begin with J.P. Morgan upgrading Progressive's rating from neutral to overweight. It says while the insurer's recent results, they were poor, they don't alter its long-term view of the company's earnings power and growth potential. Looking at shares of Progressive this morning, however, down 1%. Goldman Sachs raising its rating on Chewy from neutral to buy. Goldman says the move reflects its preference for e-commerce platforms with greater exposure to less discretionary categories that can lean on large ecosystems of buyers and subscribers Shares of Chewy this morning up more than four and a half percent. And Morgan Stanley downgrading Pepsi's rating to equal weight after saying its strong second quarter after its strong second quarter now sees the company as fairly, fairly valued post a large stock outperformance with catalyst for that run now played out. And looking at shares of Pepsi this morning down one percent. And time now for your global briefing and check on the headlines, dominating conversations on trading desks all around the world. We begin with the Kremlin earlier this hour announcing that Russia is halting the deal that allows the export of Ukrainian grain. That agreement aimed to alleviate a global food crisis by allowing Ukrainian grain blocked by the Russia-Ukraine conflict to be safely exported. The price of wheat jumping on that news. Britain signing off on its largest post-Brexit deal to date, joining the multi-trillion dollar Indo-Pacific trade bloc. The deal will now receive parliamentary, parliamentary scrutiny in the U.K., while other bloc members will also compete, complete their own reviews. And Bloomberg reporting Turkey's president will visit Saudi Arabia, Qatar and the United Arab Emirates this week to try to attract investments in his country. The trip comes as Turkey continues to grapple with a cost of living crisis with the government hiking fuel taxes by nearly 200 percent yesterday. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, markets getting ready for another busy week of high-profile quarterly results. Veritas Financial's Greg Branch lays out why he's not sold on the optimism permeating among investors. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange after this break. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We want to bring attention, your attention back to a story that we hit earlier this hour. Reuters issuing a correction over its alert over Saudi Arabia extending its voluntary oil production cuts. Reuters says the story was a repeat of news published on June 4th. It has now been withdrawn. Uh, after that report was issued, you see that green line up there, a pop when it came to oil prices. Oil prices now back in the red, now down one and three quarters of a percent, actually hitting its lows of the morning. All right, time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. We begin with the Financial Times reporting that Microsoft is set to face a probe by the EU over competition concerns. The FT says the investigation will focus on claims Microsoft is linking its Teams app with its Office software. European luxury stocks falling in overseas trade. This after Richemont, the Swiss owner of Cartier, reported a surprise drop in revenue from the Americas in its latest quarterly report. 
The chief executives of Intel and Qualcomm are reportedly planning a visit to Washington this week. Reports are they plan to discuss U.S.-China policy with a focus on export controls and market conditions. Shares of Intel up a half a percent in the pre-market. Two years later, and the first Tesla Cybertruck has rolled off the assembly line. CEO Elon Musk said back in May he hopes to produce as many as 250,000 a year. And Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, the seventh installment of the Tom Cruise action franchise, taking in a disappointing $56.2 million in its North America debut over the weekend. Estimates were looking at a number a lot closer to $75 million. And a rare sealed original iPhone. It just sold at auction for a record $158,000, beating the previous record set back in February of just $63,000. By the way, the original sale price of that first iPhone, only $499. All right, we're getting ready for the week ahead. Some high-profile names dominate the earnings calendar as we get ready for results from Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Netflix, Tesla, IBM, American Airlines, and Johnson & Johnson. And really, that's just scratching the surface. While many expect that this busy week of quarterly results could be a strong catalyst for the markets, it may not be as big as some people think. Uh, the team at UBS Global Wealth Management argues that instead of a buying opportunity, the next four weeks of earnings, they could be a sell-the-news type event for stocks. If that happens, it would make this earnings season unusual relative to recent history. Analysis from Deutsche Bank shows the S&P 500 has logged a median quarterly gain of roughly 2% during the four-week peak of earnings season, by comparison, stocks have seen a median gain of 1.7% for the remainder of the quarter. For much more on that and the trading day ahead, let's bring in Greg Branch. Greg, good morning. Morning, Fred. All right, Greg, you're known to be a bear, so I'm going to ask you, how do you see earnings season? Do you see this as a, a possible catalyst for this run uh, from the first half of the year to continue? Yeah, I do expect this to come in better than expected, better than the uh, negative 7.2%, largely for the same reason that we saw the first quarter coming better than expected, Frank. We have lots of stimulus go in in that first and second quarter, not only from the bank loans, but also from the Treasury spending down its account. And so I think that that's starting to reverse. I think I think that we're starting to see the cracks in the Treasury. I think that also the Fed has a problem in that the market is reacting to its own narrative, not the one that they're trying to author. So I think this, this will look a lot like it did last year where the Fed comes out and re-exerts the narrative that it wants the market to be listening to, I think that we'll have a great second quarter. And then I think okay. we can't get to the numbers that consensus has in the background. All right, so a bit of a reversal from you. You actually expect things to be better than expected. That's not normally your thing. So you're saying the market has its own narrative. We want to get your narrative about the market day ahead. What is your WEX word of the day? The WEX word of the day is revelations. And I'm talking specifically about financials. Recall that we use financials to get an insight into what the economy and the consumers do. But it's a tale of two worlds in financials right now, Frank. The big banks have been the winner in all of the macro trends that played out after SVB. But we haven't heard from the losers in those trends, those who are experiencing the deposit flight, those who may feel some pain from CRE, those who may have not managed their balance sheet as well as others. And so I'm really curious to hear from those, because even with the winners, we saw a net interest margin tick down in an environment where it should expand. Right. We saw a city's profit uh, decline precipitously. So I'm anxiously awaiting these mid, mid, uh, mid and small size regionals. All right. No, we're anxiously awaiting, Greg, how you would play this market day ahead. So I know you're under the belief that the consumer, the strength of it is actually weakening. We hit on some other data about consumers, credit card debt at a trillion, credit card rates at 22 percent, kind of pointing us mm -hmm. to a stretch consumer. 
How does that shape your view of what's investable on a day like this? So recall that my, my outlook is fairly long term, right? And so I would use the next couple of weeks while we probably reach the highs for 2023, in my opinion, to take profits and hang out at the low, low uh, the short end of the curve and make that 5.5%. Wait for the opportunity after the market's digested the Fed's narrative, because that will be a buying opportunity. And hopefully I can shed this bear skin for once and for all, Frank, this year. You know, as we see the futures point to the red, where would you sell? I'm not saying the individual stocks, but different sectors. Where would you look to trim right now, especially ahead of that Fed decision coming up later this month? I think I think breadth will narrow again, Frank, as we go into the next couple of months. I think investors will seek safety where there's going to be double digit earnings growth. I think those areas will be few and far between. And I don't think multiples will matter because they're few and far between. So the argument against the mega, uh, the mega tech trade right now is a valuation one. And I don't think it'll matter for a number of months, just like the market's trading attached from fundamentals right now. And so healthcare will get double-digit earnings growth. Uh, we saw that in inflation where healthcare services was up. T- Megatech will get double-digit earnings growth. So look there. Look where you have margin protection. Breadth will narrow. You can find safety there. All right. I'm not going to let you off the hook with just saying the short end of the bond curve because everybody says that the yields are elevated. But specifically, when you say the short end, are we talking a one month, a two month? How long do you want to be hiding out in bonds in your mind to let this volatility settle down before you see another opportunity to buy? So we're doing lots of ETFs right now right, to remain liquid. We're doing lots of CLOs, which obviously track the, the, the rising interest rates. But also on the treasuries, we're not doing anything longer than six months so that we're prepared when those things mature and have a, a nice stack of cash to go in and buy all the companies that have that structural tailwind and that secular story behind. All right. So you're buying CLO ETFs? Yeah. So CLOs go up. You know, they pay the prevailing interest rate. And so as interest rates go up, they don't uh, experience the principal deterioration that other bonds do because there's now higher yielding instruments in the market. All right. Really interesting stuff. Greg Branch. Kind of bearish, not as bearish as normal. You know, you, it seems like you see some light at the end of the tunnel. A bit of a shift for you. I'm just going to be honest. Always great to see it's you. It's all math to me, Frank. 225 next year, 17 times is 3,800. All right, Greg, always great to see you. Um, before we let Thanks. everybody go, we're going to take one more look at the futures right now. Seeing kind of a flat picture right now. Looks like the Dow would open up about 50 points lower, so actually about 80 points lower. I'm looking on my laptop, a bit of a different number here, uh, but generally right across the board. We also want to look at oil prices after that Reuters I guess, misreport. They called it an error. Uh, We saw oil prices spike very briefly, but now back in the red, actually hitting their lows of the morning. WTI down almost 2%. Same story for Brent crude. We also want to look at wheat after that report from the Kremlin that they would no longer allow those grain shipments to go through. There was a deal made just about a year ago to allow grain shipments to continue to go through despite the Russia-Ukraine conflict. We're seeing wheat off of its highs of earlier this morning, but still up just about 3% right now, 2.9%. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We've got much more Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. 
Take your business further at tmobile.com/slash now. 